general rule, if we want to ultra simplify, build a capital base, which is the foundation, use that to then build a cash flow base, right? And yeah, it's really interesting what you said, because it depends on what you're trying to achieve and where you're at, right? But uh, yeah, from what you say, in theory, right, you would want to have a portfolio that all times you're equally constrained on all of the constraints, right? All the resources. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dashrod Insider, where we help you become a better property investor. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Andy Bernardos, who is the Senior Portfolio Strategist at Dashdot, and we dig into, well, unsurprisingly, portfolio strategy. We talk about the theory of constraints, how to optimize your portfolio over time, and why you may need to think about different characteristics in your portfolio over different stages, plus a whole bunch of counterintuitive thinking and advice to help you to get to your goals faster. So if you're interested in growing a prolific and profitable property portfolio, then this is an episode for you. But before we get into it, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Make sure you share this with somebody else as well. We really appreciate that. And if possible, make sure you rate as well. But the most important thing is subscribe and share it with somebody else. It's super important and super valuable to us. We really care about helping people to become better property investors and to create a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. That is what this is all about. And I hope that this is doing it for you too. So all of that being said, let's get stuck right into it. And I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to Dashdot Insider. Joining me today is Andy Bernardos. Andy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very well. I'm very excited for today's conversation to dig into some really strong concepts around property investing strategy. But before we do, who are you? What do you do at Dashdot? Why should anyone care? <laughs> I don't know why anybody should care, but uh, I'm Andy. I was born and raised in Spain and been in Australia for a few years. And I was an engineer before, which was fun, and but of course, property investing was my uh, passion, my hobby, and one day, I was brave enough, decided to make it my full-time um, pursuit, and and that's when I found Dashdot, and, and what I do now for our clients is essentially create long-term plans uh, to figure out what they got to do to get to their goals, and empower them in in understanding that they can get to their goals and and having a clear path to get there. And it's pretty exciting. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Okay. So you are the senior property strategist at Dashdot. So you are looking at a lot of these uh, plans and you are QAing other people's plans. And in fact, you are actually part of a core team that is continuing to evolve how we think about strategy and planning and on a really technical level. Uh, one of the one of your strengths is your ability to think about this stuff quite uh, in a quite uh, technical depth, partly because you've got engineering background, I suspect. What's one piece of knowledge or insight that you've gained about property strategy, which if I told you before you started, you would never have believed or fully understood its importance? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say the importance of, of growth and the fact that you can actually target assets that have a really good chance of having strong growth because when I was studying property investing in the past, I was just thinking about the cash flow, right? Because it's easy to measure. You just pick up a phone, call, talk to the property manager, figure out how much that property would rent for, figure out how much how much you can buy it for, and that's it. And and I was like, yeah, you can't really know if a property is going to grow or not. So just focus on cash flow. <laughs> and that was the big kind of life changer for me to understand that 
not only the power of growth is very strong, but also that you can target it in a reliable way. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of people probably still don't understand that. So if you were to try and explain that to someone that you just met at a pub, right? So like, it's good to kind of like put the kind of pub chat analogy on it. And you were trying to tell someone like, hey, actually, you know, it is actually possible to um, not only you know consider growth strategically, but actually, you know, see where it's going. Like, how would you explain that to someone in a way that they can understand it, conceptualize it and believe it? Yeah, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? Of course, understanding what are the factors that drive growth and that would be the first way to make someone understand. Like, if you identify what are the things that actually drive growth and you can measure those, then you would have a good understanding of, on what, uh, you know, areas or properties or whatever are really good for growth, right? And then once you understand how you get the growth, then you show them why getting that growth is going to scale your portfolio much quicker and stronger than than uh, if you were to target other things, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay, that makes interesting. Sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does make sense. Um, obviously, we could go down a deep, deep rabbit warren around like how do we think about growth and like what are those characteristics? But I, I want to steer this more around property strategy because in my experience and sort of my observation just generally of uh, real estate investors and also, you know, real estate, you know, all the kind of content you see out there around real estate investing generally, there seems to be some almost a fetishized kind of obsessive focus on specific property characteristics and attributes. So for example, people might be like, look at this property, it's good because it's got development potential. Or look at this property, it's good because it's got a yield of a certain amount. Or look at this property, it's good because um, it's in a location which I'm hypothesizing may or may not have some growth or whatever. And so these are very property specific concepts, which don't actually layer into a strategic approach because you could absolutely find something that's developable. You could find a hundred acres which um, has development capability, and you could, you know, have a plan to become the next Harry Triggerboff. But if that doesn't fit into the context of an overall strategy for your portfolio, then the, the specific property characteristics, whether they be good or not, objectively, actually don't matter. And to to <laughs> To to the degree that I was um, that uh, I was in a conversation the other day uh, around, you know, there was a, there was a property investor that was talking about yield, and he's like, oh, you know, I don't want to get stuck. I, I need to know that I can get uh, a certain yield. I, you know, what yield can we get? I need. It was, he was so fixated on the yield. Oh, the yield. It's got to what? What yield can we do? And it's like, well, w- what's this? Like, what are we trying to achieve? Like, like the the goal is not like, do I need a specific number of yield? The goal is not get stuck, <laughs> and so. Get, not getting stuck has a completely different context than do I need a specific yield? Now, you may, but you may not. And so what I really want to sh- try and help people do is shift their focus to a strategic approach and understanding what that looks like. So in your experience, what are some of the common misconceptions or mistakes that people make when they're trying to build wealth through real estate as they're trying to work through this? Because you've helped a lot of people build plans now. So what are these sort of some of these mindsets or thinkings that, um, that you've seen that people might be holding themselves back with? Yeah. I mean, one of them is, is one of the, you just mentioned, like, uh, focusing on, on a specific tactic. First of all, that, the, w- whatever that tactic would provide you might not even be what you need or what you want, first of all. But even if that's the case, 
let's say that tactic provides you what you want. It might not be the only way to get what you want. So why narrow your possibilities to just that tactic? That if you think about other aspects in life, like sports and stuff like that, in soccer, let's say, you don't, the coach is not going to say, okay, guys, just focus on this particular tactic where you're going to pass the ball to this other person and this, that, and that's how he's going to score. Well, yes, there is, there are different many tactics that they can use, but if you apply the first principles approach, all you got to do is get the damn ball through the goal. That's all. Like, and then you can come up with a million ways to do that, right? Same happens in other sports, boxing. Punch and not get punched. Easy. That's the premise. That's the first principle, right? And there's many, many ways of doing it. So that's one of the misconceptions. Like, yes, maybe developing sounds sexy, you know, it's it's cool, it's this, but it's just one way. First of all, it might you might not even need what that's gonna provide you. And second, if that's the case, well, it's just one way. There's so many other ways. And the those ways change with the with time and with the market and with environments. Um, different tactics are diff are better or worse, regarding regard you know depending on the environment. So, um, attaching that to like property strategy, on a more general sense, um, you know, for most of our clients or for most investors that let's say they're starting off with the capital, the cash to buy one property and they don't have any property any more property and their savings rate is just an average savings rate and stuff like that. Their misconception is, yeah, let's try to get as much yield as we can and and all that kind of stuff, you know? And if the property doesn't grow, it might take them five, ten, fifteen years to save the deposit for the next property, right? So the misconception is, yeah, let's let's try to be cash flow positive. Let's try to get a little bit of cash flow, and that could be a few thousand dollars, but you're not going to save your way up to the next deposit just with a couple thousand dollars a year in cash flow. You know, so the misconception there would be thinking that you can grow your portfolio just by reinvesting small amount of cash flow, right, and not getting growth. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. I actually don't think that people are thinking like that specifically. I don't think that people are thinking, I'm going to get, for example, two and a half grand a year of cash flow, and that cash flow is going to give me what I need in order to save up for more deposits. But what I do think is happening is they're not thinking, <laughs> is like they're not actually thinking about, yeah, yeah. I, like I don't, I don't think that the context around the decision is, oh, you know what, that extra two and a half grand, that's the thing that's going to help me to save up for the next deposit. I just think that people are not focusing on what is the most important thing. Um, there's, uh, I think it's Howard Marks who uh, who wrote a book called The Most Important Thing, uh, and it's and it really is uh, an amazing book around kind of like finance strategy and, and critical thinking and first principles thinking as it, as it uh, relates to uh, relates to finance. But back on track, so. What is what I think is really interesting here is that there's different stages in the portfolio and what you need at different stages is going to be dependent on where you are and what the environment is. So to your point, if someone is starting out in their portfolio and they've just saved up their first deposit, is getting a certain yield the most important thing? Um, it might not be the most important thing. In fact, maybe getting growth is going to be the most important thing. And so there's different, there's certainly different ways to to think about that at the different stages. I want to dig into that from your experience and so you can try and explain to people. Well, in fact, let's go there now. 
based on what you based on what you have seen, what characteristics about an individual's current state might indicate where they need to throw their focus in their portfolio next? Like, how would someone know if the most important thing was growth, or the most important thing was yield, or the most important thing was adding value? How would someone know or think about that? Well, first of all, you got to apart from taking a look at what your goals actually are, it's taking a look at the main three resources that you have that could be constraints, right? So capital, borrowing capacity, and yield. Sorry, and cash flow, rather. Uh, your ability to, uh, your, your capacity to hold cash flow or your savings rate, et cetera, right? So personal cash flow. Capital, borrowing capacity, and cash flow. So yes, in some instances, it might, even in the first property, for some clients, it might be necessary to focus on yield a little bit uh, more, right? Because they might have a really, they might be really constrained in terms of cash flow or borrowing capacity and stuff like that, right? However, in the short term, borrowing capacity, cash flow, etc., usually shouldn't be treated as a variable to optimize, right? A decision variable, but more like a constraint, because if Usually at the beginning of, of a general, you know, average portfolio, what you want to do is build a strong foundation, which then can be used to fund the properties that you will need to get you to your goals. And that foundation starts by building a really strong capital in your portfolio, equity, except, right? So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a little yes. bit like that. I don't know. If I think it's sort of that. Let's, let's expand on it a little bit more. So in a, so in a scenario where someone's got a big pile of cash, Right, they have so there's there's three components, right? So we can talk about the theories of constraints, theory of constraints here, because I think that this is the most important thing that people need to understand about their portfolio, right? The goal is not get stuck, cool, because if you don't get stuck, that means you can keep buying buying properties and keep building wealth. And whatever your objective is, whatever your just get the ball into the goal kind of scenario is for your portfolio, which I think is a fantastic analogy, by the way, because you think about a soccer field you could run you could do a play that goes down the mid or the center or you could do all this kind of like fancy stuff at the the end of the day it's all about getting the ball into the goal that's it simple and so whatever that ball in the goal moment is for the individual it's probably going to be predicated around making sure that they can get to that point so they can get the ball across the line and not get stuck whatever that means so if someone's got a big stack of cash a big pile of cash then you know, depending on what their objective is, assuming it's not um, expand that capital base as much as possible. But if their goal was, if they're getting the ball through the through into the goal was, I want to turn this into the maximal amount of cash flow. Then sure, they pro- they may have uh, they it may make far more sense to specifically just have a strategy that is geared around, okay, well, how do we maximally op- optimize yields, but not just gross yields, but also net net cash flow? Because of course, high yields in a high cost environment can also end up with like lower net cash flow. So that doesn't necessarily work things out. However, someone who has a big pile of cash, who has a goal of, I've got enough money, I don't care about cash flow, I don't need it. Um, what I want to do is I want to maximize my my total capital base and um, I'm totally okay with having it cash flow negative. And the goal is how do I turn my, let's say, million dollars of cash into $5 million of cash in the fastest way possible, then that wouldn't be a cash flow based strategy. That would be something like a growth based strategy where you would think about um, capital allocation in something that's going to give you significant uh, leveraged advantage on that front. Someone who is just starting out, so someone who... 
they're going to buy their first property. They they've been saving up for a few years. They've got you know seventy five grand or something like that. They're just they're just getting stuck into it. Now, if they uh, the, the the likelihood is the likelihood is that their borrowing capacity, their capacity to borrow, is going to be greater than their capacity to purchase based on their amount of capital, right? So, you know, most people if they if they don't if they're not encumbered with debts, they've probably got you know high hundreds of thousands of dollars in borrowing capacity, or you know something kind of in this sort of seven hundred to sort of one point two million range in in borrowing capability, something like that. But they might might only have enough capital to buy something that's worth three to four hundred thousand dollars. So. So then, in that case, the most important thing, if you think about those constraints, being capital, uh, access to capital, access to debt, and access to cash flow, um, then the most important thing is like, okay, well, how do I develop my capital to a point where my capital capabilities meet my debt capabilities? So you have a balance between those two things, right? And so then it's like, okay, cash flow is going to be good, and maybe you don't have a high savings rate, and maybe cash flow would be nice. However, the most important thing would be let's expand the capital base. Cool, got it. But and then for for a lot of people, that journey is going to look something like build out the capital base, then build out the cash flow base, something like that. Would you agree with that kind of general uh, approach? Yeah, that's usually the general rule. If we want to ultra simplify, build the capital base, which is the foundation. Use that to then build the cash flow base, right? And yeah, it's really interesting what you said because it depends on what you're trying to achieve and where you're at, right? But uh, yeah, from what you say, in theory, right, you would want to have a portfolio that all times you're equally constrained on all of the constraints, right? All the resources, right? Because then, because your portfolio is just is as good as the weakest link, right? As the uh, biggest constraint. Uh, you mentioned the theory of constraints. Um, created by Eli Goulart and basically talks about a system where it's only a, the performance of the system is only as good as the weakest link, right? The performance of your, your portfolio and your ability to grow your portfolio is only as good as your worst, uh, as, as a constraint that you are more uh, constrained by, right? So yeah, it's really important to, to, um, to consider that. And if you're really constrained in one of those three and you have excess in maybe one of the other ones, you have to manage your portfolio accordingly, right? And at the beginning, uh, and, and then that's how you treat them as constraints. But as a general rule, you would want to optimize for that growth within those constraints, right? And then the more growth that you achieve, the more capital your portfolio has, it means that you will be able to, if you're not constrained by anything, to buy more property. And buy more property, whatever your goal is, um, considering to buy equally as good properties, of course, then you you'll achieve a higher goal. If your goal is capital, well, then more capital will give you more capital. If your goal is cash flow, well, then more capital will allow you to buy more cash flow properties and stuff like that. Right? Do you have any um? Do you have any ways that people can think about assessing this in their own in their own portfolio? Like, is there any ratios that people should be thinking about that you might know or use? For example, you know, how would someone know? How would someone know when it's time to go from focusing on a capital capital based um, acceleration type strategy through to a uh, cash flow based t- type strategy? How would someone know and think about that? Is there a specific ratio that you might think about, or, or if you were building a plan for someone, 
what would make you go, okay, now it's time to shift over and start to evolve the strategy? I mean, purely from a constraint uh, perspective, a quick rule of thumb would be to identify your resources and how many properties can you afford depending on whatever resources. If you have the capital to afford one property, but the borrowing capacity to buy five, that's a good indication of where to to go to, and you know, and, and you can do that exercise with all the all the resources, right? So you can continuously do the exercise as you, for example, we do in the strategy team as we plan these, uh, we model these portfolio growth plans. Is to do that exercise for every single property every time. What is what is it that is holding me back from purchasing the next property, right? And then you can do that exercise. Well. I have plenty of capital, but no borrowing capacity or no cash flow capacity. My portfolio cannot take any more debt or any more negative cash flow. Therefore, you identify the uh, the constraints for that property. And then you either have to wait until you regain that capacity or uh, think about what strategy you're going to uh, employ in order to remove that constraint. Waiting. Let's talk about that because I think that's something that people don't think about in their portfolio. How can doing nothing actually unlock constraints over time? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they call it the illusion of action or something like that, that you, you think that you got to do stuff all the time. And one of the purposes of property is that it, it's working for you in your sleep. So sometimes, sometimes, ideally... You always want to remove constraints so you never have to wait. But of course, that's ideally. In reality, sometimes it's just a matter of time. And for most people also, if your resources are not infinite. So you wait one or two years, your equity is going to grow. Rents are going to grow. Your borrowing capacity is going to get naturally restored. Your cash flow cap- uh, capacity is going to improve. Your capital is going to improve and all that. So, so if you at least model a plan in a way where it's always going to be healthy and the worst thing that can happen to your plan is that you have to wait a couple months more than you thought well you know so be it yeah it's super interesting right and a lot of people really i think a little too hung up on this it's waiting is okay you you may if you can strategically optimize to work within the constraints that you have to maximally grow your portfolio within the within the guidelines that are going to help you to achieve your specific objective so i.e with an overarching strategy towards a specific goal that may mean buying one property or it may mean buying 10 properties and then you may despite despite continuously navigating how do we how do we work with and optimize our constraints for continued to, to be able to continue to grow our portfolio you may find yourself at a point where you need to pause. And pausing can actually be part of the process. That doesn't mean that you've lost. That doesn't mean that, oh my God, it's all over and I'm never going to get there. It could just mean, okay, cool. So now I've got to this point. I get to set up a little bit of a base camp here. I get to take a breath. I get to even go and focus on a few other things in life whilst my portfolio does the work to unlock itself, which most people don't think about. Because as you pointed out, 
you know, <laughs> rents uh, rents will go up. <laughs> they do. And you are likely to get even some capital growth in your asset over time. And, you know, you can optimize your own personal life as well to increase it. And so just give it a bit of time and your portfolio can unlock itself, which is a pretty magical kind of moment. You're like, geez, I don't even have to do anything. I just got to go and chill out. And then my portfolio unlocked itself, which can, again, be part of a broader broader plan and a broader strategy. So, you know, okay, I'm going to take action. I'm going to buy five. And then I'm going to do nothing for two years. I'm going to wait. Then I'm going to go and buy another two and so on and so forth. And so um, what I'd actually like to ask you now, Andy, is based on what you've seen, what what is kind of like a common pathway that you see in portfolio design? Is it a case of let's buy one property every year for 10 years or is it a case of let's buy let's buy uh you know the a, a larger number of properties in a shorter consideration of time then do nothing for ages or is it um do a little bit at the front and all stack towards the back there's a second part to this question and you can take as long as you like to answer in the, to give it enough context but based on what you've seen what is a reasonable expectation from someone to go from a standing start through to I've achieved uh, like a, a kind of like a standard goal that you've seen. So, what is the kind of structure and what does it look like? And then, what's how, what the time, what time should be people be thinking about this with? I mean, ideally, you you would want to front load your portfolio as much as you can. If you can buy like purchase all the properties that you can at the beginning, as opposed to towards you know later on and delay it, it would be better because of the compounding effect. You have more property doing its thing, right? So as Just a general expand on that a little bit more because people yeah. you brushed over that pretty quickly, but most people don't understand that. So why you said because of the compounding effect, but specifically, why if you were going to buy ten properties, is it better for you to buy ten properties in the first year rather than one property every year for ten years or or ten properties in the last year or whatever? Because then you have more properties growing earlier at the same time. So if you buy one property at a time. Like one property a year for 10 years, the average properties that you will hold for 10 years would be five, right? But it would be averaged out and, and the compounding effect will be less. If you start, if you have 10 properties in year one, you have now 10 properties growing in, in value and growing in, in rents, right? That you can compound way, way stronger straight away. You, got, you get that equity from the 10 properties, you might be able to buy another 10 in, in just a few years, right? If you have, you're not constrained by anything you know, borrowing capacity and stuff, right? So it, I don't know if I have any other, better way to explain it, but in essence, what I try to tell our clients is, hey, the first few years of your portfolio building is the, fa- the foundational years are the most critical years for you to put into it as much as you can. I would rather you make the effort in the next few years rather than just, you know, chill out for a few years and then try to make up for the lost time in the future. If you want to commit to the most amount of savings, yearly savings that you can now, it is better now than later on. Later on, your portfolio will be generating massive equity. It won't be as important. Those first few years are the critical in order to input, not try to take anything out from your portfolio, to input into your portfolio as much as you can, to get as many properties, as many good properties as you can, so you can start building up and having more properties that are growing at the same time, more properties that are giving you rent and having the rents growing at the same time from the beginning. Rather than having just the one property, let's say you, you purchase one property in day day one, right? 
as you said, you might have to wait. If you're sa- if you're saving, let's say, I don't know, ten thousand a year, you might have to wait another ten years to get the second one, right? Just by savings alone. So, if we are relying on 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 the growth, also, might just have to wait. You have one property, might have to wait two or three years to to have enough capital to for the second one. However, if you had more property, then it's a uh, less of a wait, you know. So you can front load your acquisition. Okay, so you think I don't so? Know if that so, answers your question. Yeah, that does. That does. So let's let's go back to the the original part of that question. So what are, what do you kind of so you kind of commonly see that it's better to front load your portfolio. So if someone was starting, let's use some really general numbers here because what I'd love to do is sort of paint a picture because most people cannot see into the distance. Now you and I have the curse of knowledge because we can see all this stuff all the time, so we kind of know how it works. Now. Um, but most people don't, and most people are like, I have no idea what's going to happen next. So if someone was starting with, let's say, $100,000 cash, broadly speaking, again, these are just general numbers, everyone, this is not financial advice, and don't hold us to anything here, but just give, give, give a general sort of context. If someone was starting with, uh, say, 100 grand in cash, and let's say they had like a, you know, a million-ish borrowing capacity, um, and their goal was to get to um, something like, $100,000 in cash flow. Without going into the specifics t- too detailed, how would you see that portfolio evolving? Would you? Would it sort of be like, we'd aim to sort of go and buy a couple of properties a year in the first couple of years and how long do you think it would take? And just some general context from some of the portfolios that you've seen. Yeah. Well, generally speaking, I would try to focus on as many growth-focused assets as possible, as long as the constraints allow it, as long as they don't run out of borrowing capacity too soon and and you know they can't keep going uh as long as the cash flow capacity is managed and all that focus as much on those growth assets and build a strong portfolio use that portfolio to then slowly steer more towards cash flow and then a- a- arrive to their goals after that yeah it could in that particular case it could be 10 years 15 years for some other clients and it also depends on what they're willing to to do right and what they're willing to put into the portfolio and stuff like that. But you can do that as a really simple strategy. And then you can, I don't know, six, seven, eight years from now, reassess your portfolio, take a look at the worst performing assets in terms in terms of cash flow, see if they're they're representing an opportunity cost, maybe letting go of them if needed and, and buying all their higher cash flow assets and stuff like that. There's many ways of doing it depending on on your investor profile. But essentially buy as much growth assets as you can and you're comfortable with according to your constraints and use that capital that those are going to create to then buy the properties that are going to get you to your cash flow goals. Yeah. Does that kind of answer your question? It does. It's too simplistic, but it's it's good good to be simple. It's good. It's good. And I think it's actually, uh, you reminded me of an interesting kind of point and it's a really good thing for us to talk about because we talk a lot, you know, we, as a company, we talk a lot about cash flow broadly speaking as being important because of course, if your goal is to have a reliable income stream, that is cash flow. <laughs> However, I think that the mistake that people make is they think about cash flow too early in their portfolio. So they might think, okay, so if I want $100,000 in cash flow, that means that I need to be stacking that up from day one. So the first property needs to produce enough. Like if the first, prop- the first property needs to produce $10,000 in cash flow, the second property needs to produce $10,000 in cash flow, and so on and so forth, versus how do I think about this in stages? You know, How do I actually build a bigger base 
so that my profits expand on my portfolio. And I see the same kind of thing playing out in business, and I'll use a different analogy. So some business owners have a small business, say a very small business, and they're saying, I want to make a million dollars a year. Okay, that's cool. So you might have a business that's doing a million dollars in revenue, but you want a million dollars in profit. Well, that's never going to work. But what if you built a business that was doing $30 million in revenue? Would it be easy enough to take a million dollars worth of profit? Then uh, likely be going to be a hell of a lot easier than getting a million dollars out of a million dollars. And so thinking about expanding the size of the business, which is really what when you're building a property portfolio, you're building a business, you're building a real estate business. And so expanding the size of your business so that your profit margins meet your desired wealth expectations is a far better way to do it. And so focusing on that, focusing on what you're saying is focus focus on growing the business in the first instance. Don't focus on how much cash you can take off the table because that's not the right time to be taking cash off the table. The cash should be like, you should be thinking, how do I build a bigger business? Because then as you build a bigger business, over time, that's actually going to give you a bigger base from which to take the profits from. And of course, as you grow the capital in your business, as long as you're not constrained by access to debt and all of these other things, because you don't want to accidentally run yourself back yourself into a back yourself into a corner where you can't do anything and get it. But is, when you're growing it, you need to make sure that you are able to enact the second stage of the strategy, which is to unlock the capital to then continue to expand. And so there's there's a transitionary piece in there that you need to be thinking a few steps ahead, which is why it's important to think strategically <laughs> and not tactically around the types of assets that you want to have in your property portfolio. I want to ask another question. You mentioned opportunity cost. How do you th- how do you think about opportunity cost? And I'd love to yeah, I'd love to get your take on it and how you think about it in the context of a property portfolio. And specifically, maybe try and link that back to things like return on capital or return on equity, which might be an interesting because I know you think a lot about a lot about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to start from the end and say opportunity cost at the time where you're close to your goal, to your target, and all you want is cash flow, let's say. Some people are scared of selling a property and paying selling costs and tax and all that, right? So the opportunity cost lies in, okay, well, if that cash that you'll get from selling the property after all the expenses and taxes will get you higher returns that than that same capital staying in the property, then it represents an opportunity cost, right? That's a way of looking at it in terms of when you're at that second stage. And as you said, you do that transition and it can be a smooth transition depending on your invest your your profile and your appetite. Or it could be a stronger transition when you like do a sell down, you do an exit strategy, sell down and then buy all the property and stuff like that. There's many ways of it, right? But that's one part of the answer. And then about the return on investment, the return on capital and all that kind of stuff, it's really interesting. And I want people to understand this because you got to take a look at the whole picture of what your portfolio is doing and what your individual properties are doing. Because let's say, you know, even in the good days, a couple of years ago, where rates were record low, you know, two and a half percent or whatever, we were getting uh, cash flow positive properties in high growth areas and all that kind of stuff, right? If you were to rely on solely cash flow and you have a decent cash on cash return of like 5%, maybe more, right? That is what you usually see because cash flow is tangible. It's You see it in your pocket, right? So that's why most investors get fixated on that. But compounding and reinvesting, you know, compounding on 5%, reinvesting on 5% while being good, 
might not be as strong as it could be. If you take a look at the bigger picture and think about growth, right? If you can target areas that are going to grow, let's say by 10% the first year, right? You put 100K down on a $500,000 property, property grows by 10%, you made 50K, you just did 50% on your money. Regardless what the cash flow does, maybe you're even cash flow negative for a bit, doesn't really matter. Even if you're 5% negative, you're still 45%. That is what I when you what you want to think about when thinking about return on your investment and return on your capital, right? Now take that 45% and reinvest it and get another 45% on that on top of that. I don't care what the cash flow is. I don't care if a negative cash cash flow as long as it's good enough within my constraints. It doesn't surpass my cash flow capacity. It doesn't fuck up my borrowing capacity, right? I'm going to manage that. But as as long as I can, I'm not going to disregard a 45% return on investment for a 5%, right? If that makes sense. Apart from the discussion that in today's market, you wouldn't even get that 5% cash on cash return easily anyway. But that's a story. Yeah. Does that kind of answer your it question? Does. Yeah, it's an interesting way to think about it. So it's a little bit counterintuitive for a lot of people to be thinking that way though. It's a little bit counterintuitive to be, for people to be thinking about that way because you know, you've know you got this kind of like concept of from a return on from a return on capital or return on equity basis, growth is significantly more important. Selling an asset could actually give you a better return <laughs> than, than holding an asset. And I guess at some point, people need to think about are they what are they optimizing for? Like, what are they optimizing for? Are they optimizing for maximal return on capital, which can be the way to go? Or um, are people optimizing for you know, for example, uh, a cash on uh, like a cat like the cash flow state, right? Because it's pretty easy to see, particularly if you've got a leveraged asset, that growth and to a certain degree selling the asset over time is going to give you a higher return on cash than cash flow will. However, cash flow <laughs> can be the thing that can fund the life that you want. So you cannot buy, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, cash flow will then allow you to buy milk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You can't take equity to the shops kind of thing. So, and even yeah. if you built a $20 million um, equity value in your portfolio and then sold it all and then you had a $20 million pile of cash, not the, you know, but forget about selling costs and stamp shit here, whatever, but, but, um, but, but like if you had a $20 million pile of cash, if that just sat there and did nothing, then inflation would degrade that down to nothing and you would just be spending it down over time. And so it's an interesting thing to that sometimes seeking out the highest performing uh, or high, the highest return on your capital may not actually be the most important thing <laughs> because actually the most important thing might be having something that is good but provides a specific outcome or benefit like cash flow so over time because could, yeah and as you said yes yeah, right as you said cash flow is has different meaning and importance depending on when you are in your portfolio so at the beginning it might be just to think about cash flow and borrowing capacity constraints you should, probably shouldn't be thinking about it as an income if you want to optimize your goals. But then at some point in your portfolio, it will be regarded as something that will provide you income because that's what you want, right? It's 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 entirely true. Like if you sell all your portfolio, you have $20 million in, in cash, you probably don't want to just keep it in cash. But imagine how, many pro- how much property you can buy with that, how much ca- high cash flow property you can buy with that. 
And some people, it's, I think about it sometimes as a loading a spring, right? So you're not releasing the spring, which would be like the exit strategy or realizing your gains towards cash flow. You're building and tightening that string, that spring as much as you can, right? And building that foundation. And then while that is really, really tight, you release it and then you release the, the cash flow. But the more time you spend building that foundation, and delaying the gratification and favoring growth over over cash flow, if that's going to within provide within a the constra- ROI, within the constraints, within the constraints, this is the key thing. This always, is the key thing because because always. within it's all about the constraints. Because if someone just goes, okay, I'm listening to this, I'm just going to go for growth, and then they go buy something that's like two percent yield or something like that, then they may just they might get stuck at the very first property. So it's growth within. The context of the theory of constraints, it's, it's, it's the most amount of growth that you can get without running out of the other stuff, which is access to debt and access to cash flow. That's the, that's the kind of key thing there, which is- um, Yeah, yeah, 100%. For us, it's, it's as you said, we, we, we might be too used, too used to it because we think about all of this stuff on a daily basis, but it is important that we repeat this for, for people listening because it- constraints are really important right but of course if we're optimizing for growth at target year the portfolio that would have the most potential of cash flow in theory and also probably in practice also if we don't split hairs would be the portfolio with the most capital because you let's say you have a liquidatable equity you know capital after selling whatever of x amount right which is more than another portfolio and the other portfolio has more cash flow than you do you're like and the other, the other portfolio is looking at your portfolio and say hey i have less equity and capital than you but i have more cash flow well if i repurpose reallocate my capital and use it for these same exact properties as you i'll get the same cash flow and then i'll have leftover capital to buy even more to get even more cash flow right so if you're willing to within the constraints delay that up until the end and build the strongest biggest uh capital uh base that you can you have the potential if you do things right to maximize your cash flow but that's just one way of doing it right you totally the theory yeah it's a good it's a really good way for people to be thinking about it because it takes the premise off i need to build a portfolio with the highest amount of yields and takes the premise and changes the premise to how do I make sure that I build the big, biggest capital base that I can without without unnecessarily getting stuck for an overly long period of time? Because people may get stuck for a short period of time and wait a little bit, and that's okay too. But it's like it kind of like shifts that context, which allows people to then take a broader understanding of what good might look like. I want to ask you about exit strategies, um, not. Not let's talk about all the different ways you can exit, but more specifically, what I want to talk about is some people have a view to buy assets and hold them forever and never sell them. And other people might have a view more like I will hold assets for a certain period of time and then sell them. What, what's your thoughts around that from a portfolio in a portfolio context? Should people be thinking I'm never going to sell a single asset because over time they'll go beyond exponential uh, or do should people be thinking about you know, getting comfortable with the idea of selling assets throughout the life of their portfolio. Yeah, I think they should. Because um, some of the, like different assets have different uh, purposes, right? Some of them are purely 
growth focused and not even a target year going to really give you any cash flow because you are milf- milking them. You're uh, pulling out equity over and over again. So those you have to be comfortable to understand that those assets, while they might have played their part already, they might not be doing what you want them to do now, right? So some other assets might. So it's case by case. Of course, it's an exercise of once you are close to the exit, taking a look at every single property in your portfolio and, and thinking, is this capital better off elsewhere, right? And uh, some strategies are, you know, essentially show that more obviously. And then it, some of the properties are shown to be obviously, you know, out of place in your portfolio. Like, you know, it's obvious that this property, it's already, um, you know, have has done its thing. And some of the properties, it's more, it's harder to assess, but it's a case by case. Some of the properties might stay with you for the rest of your life, you know? But yes, investors, I think, have to be comfortable with with that idea. It's all about the numbers, right? Uh, If you run the numbers and and it's still best to keep that property, it might be the case. Nice. Nice. I like it. Um, Final question. What advice would you have for investors who are thinking about buying in the current environment? Interest rates are high, doing all that kind of stuff. A lot of people are sitting on the fence wondering, what should I do? Should I wait? Is the property market going to crash? Should I, you know, a lot of people are sitting on the fence still, but have the capability to invest because they're a little scared. What advice would you give to property investors in the current environment? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say zoom out and think about the long term, first of all, not just about uh, differences in, in the market in the shorter term. One, two, three years, nothing. And understand that you're here for the long run and understand and think about what's the best return you can get, what's the best uh, properties you can get in today's market. Even if it's that's different than yesterday, um, is that going to be better than keeping the cash and losing its value to inflation, right? So you can think about that and understand the whole picture of a property, the whole return, not only the cash flow, which is just part of the picture, and understand that, you know... (laughs) And they, yeah, this is not financial advice, but if you're you're losing money to inflation, you are leveraging up and paying a certain amount of interest on debt that is actually also losing value at a bigger and a larger, like quicker pace where uh, the inflation rate is higher than the actual rate that you're paying and stuff like that. As long as you get the, you know, uh, right property, the right in the right place at the right time you manage the constraints to make sure that higher rates is still going to be fine with you and you're going to get a return on your money so property grows after all is said and done a year from now you are more wealthy than today as opposed to less because you've lost money to inflation just think a little bit about that love it Andy thank you for coming on and sharing a lot of this knowledge it's super valuable appreciate it Thank you for having me.